So if you'll join me um, on your bulletin, on the screen or in your Bible, um, we'll be reading from Proverbs and John today. All right, Proverbs chapter two. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And then in John 3, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just thank you so much um, for this time together this morning. Um, we thank you for the sunshine and just the ability that we have to gather as a community um, and worship you. Lord, we just pray that um, your spirit would be welcome in this place. Um, we pray that you would um, fill us with your presence, Lord. Soften our hearts, open our ears um, to hear your voice. Um, be with Joel as he speaks this morning. I pray that your truth would be spoken through him um, and be with him during that time, Lord. And I just pray that you would align our hearts with yours, Lord, and that we would learn more about you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks, Amanda. Hey everybody, um, a little funny not being up here for announcements, but still, uh, welcome to the gathering. It's great having everybody here this morning, especially the little ones and newcomers. It's just uh, good to have you here. Um, so this morning I'm going to be preaching about wisdom um, to any of the men who have been at the men's summer studies. Um, we've been learning about wisdom and uh, we've also been reading... Um, one of the Proverbs each day. Proverbs works out really nicely where there's 31 chapters. So even in the long months, you can still just read one a day and it's like a little devotional. So we've been doing that and it's been really great for me. It's been really rewarding. And uh, so when Brian asked me to speak, I was in the Proverbs zone and I said, yeah, I wanna, I wanna speak on Proverbs. I wanna speak on wisdom. Um, it's also another uh, cool thing as I'm just introducing this topic, that the first nine chapters of Proverbs are addressed to a son. It's a father or a mother um, telling their son, this is what wisdom is. This is how to live a wise life. And I just had a son, uh, Emmett, and so as I've been reading through all this advice for boys, a lot of which my parents gave to me, I've just been reflecting on passing this on to my son. And um, I know that some parents like pray for their kids before they have them. That's like level 10 parenting. I'm like level seven. I pray for him now that I've had him. Um, but God knows, right? Um, and so as I, was, as I was structuring this, I wanna, I wanna talk about kind of three things that we need to take away from the book of Proverbs, which are also three prayers that I have for Emmett. Three things that I really want for him. And the first one is to know, to know what wisdom means. To know wisdom. 
and, and honestly to seek after it. You see that time and time again in the book of Proverbs, to seek after wisdom, to do that repeatedly. And so I want him, I want him to have that. I also want him to know um, where wisdom comes from, which Proverbs says it comes from the fear of the Lord. So I want him to understand that. And then the third thing is I want him to have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus was the perfect human embodiment of wisdom. And so there's no better way to learn wisdom or to know wisdom than to follow Christ and have a right relationship with him. So the first one is to know what wisdom means. And that's something that we talked about in men's groups. So for the men, bear with me. Use patience, which is part of wisdom, um, as I explain this again. But um, wisdom in the Hebrew is chokmah. Um, little trivia piece, emet is also a Hebrew word. It means truth, which I think is like kind of gangster, like <laughs> named him truth. We could have named him chokmah, which would be like probably even more gangster, but that wasn't even in the running. So, hokma, that's your like Hebrew of the day. And emet, you can also learn that too. But hokma um, is the word that we translate for wisdom. Um, we looked back in the Bible to the book of Exodus as well, and we see hokma again, but in a totally different context, which I think helps to explain it to us. So hokma, we translate to wisdom in Proverbs, but in Exodus, there's these artists who are working on the tabernacle that had great hokma. And they had skill. They were skilled artists who were making these tapestries and were painting and doing all these things. So when I'm talking about wisdom in the book of Proverbs, and as we're reading this, we're not thinking this is some like hypothetical knowledge. Like, oh, you're supposed to just be like really smart or um, really just have understanding. It's also the skill of a life well lived. So it's not just this um, theoretical understanding, it's a practical knowledge that helps you live your life in a skillful way. That's what wisdom is. Um, and what, what skills do we see uh, wisdom embodied in, in the book of Proverbs? Um, we, in Proverbs 1, we see, um, just from the very beginning, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. We also, there's the skill of self-control. In Proverbs 2, there's the skill of listening, purity, sexual integrity. Proverbs 3, love, trust, humility, being able to prioritize things and have discipline. These are all of the skills that if you, if you read through Proverbs, and I would encourage you to do the like, oh, it's July 17th, I'm gonna read Proverbs 17. It's just a great way to start the day. But as you see, there's just all this wisdom of how to lead a skillful life. And so that's, that's what we're getting over and over in Proverbs, this hokma, this skill, this wisdom, how you live your life in a right way. And so who doesn't want that for their son or their daughter? It's like, I just want you to live a skillful life. I want you to have knowledge, understanding, prudent self-control. It's like, this is just really good stuff. You want your kids to have it. You want your friends to have it. You want your own life to reflect that. Um, another thing that we see, especially in these uh, passages to the sun, you see um, a, a command like, uh, 
Well, let me, let me go to verse 8 of chapter 1. And the little heading here is warning against enticement. Uh, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So they're saying, if you do these, if you, if you listen to your parents and live life in a, a wise way, then you're just going to have a graceful garland and a pendant for your neck. It's just, you're going to be blessed. There's going to be these good blessings. But my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And now I'm jumping down. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So while we're seeing these skills, we're also getting, these are the blessings. If you, if you live your life in a wise way, these are the blessings you're going to get. And that is contrasted against if you live your life in a foolish way. If, you, if, you, uh, if sinners entice you and you go with them, then they, are, they set an ambush for their own lives. This, this is a proverb that I think has, uh, has kind of come into our common understanding. And it's pulled basically straight from Proverbs 26, 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. Dig a hole, you're going to end up falling into it. I thought of examples of that, and it's like just like too many to count. It's like, you know, I leave the thing behind my car, forget about it, drive over it. Or like any time you, you, like, you try to trick someone, it ends up coming back to bite you. And that's what, that's what the wise father is saying. If you listen to wisdom, you're going to be blessed. But if you go in with the sinners and let them entice you, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. They're living in this foolish way, and there's no blessing there. Everything that they think they're going to get, they don't get. They dig a hole, and they fall into it themselves. So the book of Proverbs is loaded with this wisdom and then warnings of what happens if you don't apply that wisdom, as well as blessings if you do follow the wisdom. So in, in my own life, um, I've had this, the same journal since I was like 16, which tells you how often I journal. But I'm also really impressed because it's like my longest standing possession that I haven't lost or destroyed. Um, but I have the journal, and sometimes I'll look back through it and just look at all of the bad decisions I've made because it's like this archive. And specifically, I look at all the mistakes I've made because of avoidance, because I didn't want to do something that felt uncomfortable in the moment. Um, like, this, this one's super tough. It, it doesn't make me emotional, but I'm just like so ashamed, maybe a little emotional. Krista had this great 1991 Toyota Camry. And it had like, it didn't even have that many miles. And it was entrusted to my possession, and I didn't put enough oil in it, and I killed it. And it's, it was terrible. I was so sad. That car was awesome. And uh, so putting more oil in the car is uncomfortable. Nobody wants to do it. But if you don't do it, then you destroy the old Camry, and, and that's just a crisis. Um, a list of some of the other things I'd done that were similar to that. In high school, I registered late for the FAFSA, and... That'll burn you. Um, I paid a ticket too late and had my license suspended and had to go down to Beverly Hills. How embarrassing is that? But I just did it. Um, my first job out of college, I just kept going late to it 
and I got like this write-up thing. It was like, like instead of like a commendation that you put on your wall, it's like I had like the, a warning. It was like, Joel's been late too often. So this, this is all, those are all unskilled ways to live your life. Or in the way that the writers of Proverbs would say, that's folly. And what did I do? I reaped the benefits of my folly. I destroyed the Camry. I had to pay a bunch of money and drive to Beverly Hills. I had to get out of that job because they all thought I was a bonehead because I was acting like one. And I didn't get as much financial aid to go to Pepperdine as I probably could have. So that's, that is folly. And I, I reap the rewards of it. So I don't keep that list to shame me. Even though saying it in front of like 100 people is very shameful, it's also positive because it, it does two things for me. The first is it cautions me, which is what we see in the book of Proverbs. <laughs> Say, don't do this. Don't dig a hole to trap someone because you're going to fall into it. It's a good caution. And I can share this with you. If you have a 1991 Camry, just put enough oil in it or else it'll die. So it's a caution for me and it's a caution for others. The second which I think is even more important is it humbles me. I can't come up here and be like, I've got some sick wisdom for you guys. Check me out. Because I just told you all those folly things that I did. And it's good for me to know when I look in the mirror that folly is always like right there. So, this leads us to the second point. One is just what is wisdom? Let's understand it. Because I think that sometimes in my own life, I've thought that wisdom is just like knowing the right thing to do. But it's so much more than that. It's living it out and being skillful and not living in folly. Number two is what Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is. Where does wisdom come from? And that's the fear of the Lord. It's so important that I know my own folly because that humility that I gain from that drives me to a fear of the Lord. I'm going to explain that too, because fear is not a great English word. Um, basically, Douglas Sean O'Donnell, this like legit theologian, very wise, um, says that the fear of the Lord means these four things. Submission, respect, dependence, and worship. He says, wisdom literature should humble us. It's both a very clear view of how good God's plan and design are, and also a warning of how we can be ruled by our folly. For me, I need... The fear of the Lord is saying what God's prescription for life is, is better than my prescription of life. What I think is wise in my own eyes, like, it's wise to not put oil in the car. It's wise to pay that parking ticket tomorrow indefinitely, etc., and many other bad things. Instead of saying, it's wise to follow the wisdom of this book and these proverbs, the law and the, the rules of um, one of the proverbs, go to the ant, you sluggard. Listen how, uh, look at how he toils. In my, in my laziness, do I look to the ant and do I say, you know what, God? I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be more like the ant. Or do I just say, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. 
The fear of the Lord is submitting to his law and his wisdom over your own law and your own wisdom. Submission, respect, dependence, and worship. So, why should we submit to God? Um, An example that um, I heard when I was younger that's always stuck with me is that God, as our creator, does know what we need and what's good for us. Just like Toyota, who makes the car, writes... What do you you call the manual for your car? The owner's manual. They say, this is how you take care of the car. Do you say, well, I didn't make this car, but I know what's best. Or do you go to the owner's manual and see the wisdom there of following it? And I think that, I honestly think it's apparent on its face if you read Proverbs to say, wow, this is better than the way that I'm living. I should just do this. But it's also good to know that God, as your maker, knows what you need and knows what's good for you. And as the maker of this earth, he knows what's going to bless you and what's folly, what's going to hurt you. I also think that sometimes it's more complicated than that. And in reflecting on my life, the first examples I gave, there's no one in here who's going to say, you know what, Joel, that's good not to pay your ticket. It's, it's really obvious. And it just takes discipline in order to live out that wisdom. So I say that there's two ways that wisdom plays out. And one is times God's plan is clearly better than our plan. And we're grateful for his leading. I think those were all my first examples. But I'm going to give another example that falls into the second category. And this is a time that God's plan wrecks our plans. And we're terrified to follow him. Um, In Matthew 19... Jesus gives an example of this. Um, There's this rich young ruler. I'm not going to go into it. I've taught about it before because I really love it. But the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, my life is in line. I've got my stuff together. And um, there's this guy I like to listen to, Jocko Willink. He takes a picture of his wristwatch at like 4 a.m. every morning when he like wakes up and works out. Like he's got his life in line. It's squared away. And when we talk about like practical wisdom, like he's got it. He's living his life skillfully. By the time we've woken up, he's like worked out, eaten a vegetable, and like (laughs) written six emails. So it's like, that's how the rich young ruler was. He's like, Jesus, my life is squared away. I am on the path. I'm disciplined, and I like volunteer, and I do this stuff, and I'm so legit. And Jesus says, okay, that's good. It's good that you're squared away and you're in line, that you take a picture of your watch at 4.30. That's good. But sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Follow me. That's the time when I say God's plan. Oh, plan's not a good word. I'm sorry. I I said I wasn't going to say it, but then I wrote it, so I read it. Um, There are times when God's wisdom... What God in the Bible shows us to do or what the Holy Spirit leads me to do that I want nothing to do with. And it terrifies me. And there was a time about a year ago where I was, I was sitting at home and I just felt clearly from God and it was backed up in scripture that I needed to go to see my friend 
and confess how I'd been sinning against them, how I'd been deceiving them, and how our relationship was just not right. And it, it terrified me. And in my heart, I said, you know what? Let's just like ride this one out to the sunset. They never need to know what happened. They don't need to know the issue. I just don't want to go there. It wasn't like, you know what? I should just, I should do this. I should do it. I'm feeling lazy, but I should do it. It was, I don't want to do this at all. And it terrifies me to do it because I'm not willing to swallow my pride. I'm not willing to confess and be humbled in that way. And in that moment, it's like, I just had to grab my car keys and be like, I just got to go. I just got to go get in the car. And by the time I get to them, like God, give me strength to be honest with them and get this out there. And I think that that is what we need the fear of the Lord for. To say, you know what, God? I want nothing to do with this right now because it sounds awful to me right now and I'm terrified of doing it. But I believe that your ways are better than my ways and so I'm going to do it. The rich young ruler needed to say, you know what, Jesus? The last thing in the world I want to do is give up my money and follow you. But if he really believed that Jesus was who he said he was, he would have found a way to make it happen. And I think he would have just been so blessed by that. So as I talk about this and as I intro Jesus, that is the third one. As I talk about things we need to learn from the book of Proverbs, things that I pray for Emmett, is to understand what knowledge is and to seek after it, to understand what the fear of the Lord is and to submit to him. And then the third is to have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, a right relationship starts with an understanding of who Jesus is. And that was the passage that Amanda read this morning, and we'll put it up. Oh, actually, I don't think that's true. Let me see. Nope. We're going to John 1 first, before we go to John 3. And because it's important for us to know who Jesus is, to have a right relationship for him, God provided an individual to introduce him. And to explain that, we see that in John 1, 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That's Jesus. John, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, Jesus. So in order to have a right relationship with Jesus, we need to know who he is. And so God sent John and said, explain to the people who Jesus is. Later in chapter 1, we hear John say, um, he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Um, it must be another verse. I was thinking in this verse, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But maybe it's another place in that chapter. But I know he says it. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus is. And if we're going to have a right relationship with him, sorry. If we're going to have a right relationship with Jesus, we need to know who he is. And who he is is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God sent John to bear witness to that, to explain that to us. John went a step further. Um, he demonstrates how we are to relate to Jesus as well. 
in uh, John chapter 3, verses 29 to 31, he's, he's, compa- he's comparing himself to Jesus. Because a lot of people were seeing John and the passion that he spoke and that, that God's power was present and that he was moving. And they thought that they were confusing John with Jesus. And he, he says this. He says, no, the friend of the bridegroom. Oh, yeah, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. That's Jesus. John, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. That's Jesus. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth. That's John. John's of the earth. Jesus is from above. He who's of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. That's Jesus. What John's saying here is that Jesus is the pinnacle of wisdom. All of the wisdom that was revealed in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs and Psalms and Song of Songs and uh, Job, all the wisdom literature, is all just leading up to Christ, who is the pinnacle. As I speak to you guys, I'm of the earth belonging to the earth and speaking in an earthly way. But if you go in the Bible and you read the letters that in some some translations are read, that's Jesus from above, who is above all, whose wisdom is above all. He comes from heaven in order to give us pure wisdom. So why, why do we... This passage also gives us a very good explanation of why it is that we submit to Jesus and his wisdom. If we go back, Russ, um, a little bit more. When he says he must increase, but I must decrease, we get the reason here. Um, Oh, well, earlier he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus came to take away the sin of the world, John says, I rejoice greatly at the bridegroom's voice, and the joy of mine is now complete. Why is John rejoicing greatly? Why is his joy now complete? Because when we read Proverbs, and when we read the wisdom, when we read the law, we learn what a skillful, wise life looks like. But every single one of us has fallen short. In our effort to lead a good, wise life, I've got like a lot of things wrong and I've shared a lot of those with you. So it's like really obvious. But you do have guys like the rich young ruler or Jocko, you know, you look at him and it's like he looks pretty squared away. But even when it looks like there's wise living, Bible says there's none righteous, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has tried to live a wise life, even those who have tried to submit to God, and it just can't be done perfectly, except for Jesus, who didn't live of the earth, but came from above and was the pinnacle of wisdom. And in that, he became the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, so that even all of us in our sin, as we don't walk on that perfect path that Jesus did, we can receive his sacrifice and his holiness to save us. And John says, I rejoice greatly at the bridegroom's voice and the joy of mine is complete. 
So I need to decrease and Christ needs to increase because Christ lived the perfect life. He was the pinnacle of wisdom and he gave himself as a sacrifice in his perfection because we could never be perfect. What is our response to that sacrifice? One, it's joy. Just like John, we should rejoice greatly at that. And two, we should submit to God's wisdom and try to live a skillful life in light of that sacrifice. We should try to submit to God and live that wise, skillful life. But none of us will be able to do it perfectly. So we need to look to Jesus, who's the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's our example. He's our Savior. He loves us, and that gives us joy. And in that joy, we should give up everything to follow him. This is the last verse, and I want to finish with this. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. In our joy, we should give up everything to follow Jesus. And that is wisdom. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you and we're so grateful for the example you set of wisdom. So grateful that in that you sacrificed yourself for us so that we could be close to you and we could draw near to God. I pray that as we worship, we would just do that in joy and in gratitude for the life that you lived and the sacrifice that you made. And that you also rose again and conquered sin and death so that we can stand with you. Jesus, please help us to be wise. Please help us to submit to you and live life in a way that honors you. Jesus, we're yours and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.